Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, I welcome you back to your seats. It is that time to pick up where we left off, Matthew chapter 8, a couple weeks ago. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in this uh, portion of Scripture. We pray that your Spirit remind us of the important truths and the context of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 8. We're thankful for this famous passage of the storm that descends on the middle of the lake and uh, endangers the disciples' lives. And Jesus, you're teaching them and us through them some very important life coping skills to have less fear, to have more faith. Well, help us get that through our thick hearts. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I almost said heads. <laughs> All righty. So yes, indeed, the first signs of spring already popping up here in Northern California. I love it. So the blooms are a little bit earlier than normal, promising, nice, warmer weather to come. But we are definitely not out of uh, the woods yet concerning winter storms. There's probably one or two left uh, coming our way. I was thinking about storms, of course, in light of this morning's famous passage there, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Storms really actually can be quite beautiful and uh, they have an attractive side to them. I've got a couple shots here. Um, see what I'm talking about. There's something to marvel at, the awesome power greater than us. And uh, even there are storm chasers, crazy as they are, that go after that kind of thing because they just are drawn to the beauty and the majesty of the storms billowing in, lightning lighting up the sky and all of that. Now, up close and personal, it's a different story, right? They can be as deadly as they can be. Beautiful, I've got a slide, of course, of things you have seen on the news after a hurricane comes through. Yeah, it leaves tremendous devastation in its wake, those serious storms. And so, this morning, the sudden squall, as the Bible calls it, that descends down upon the disciples as they're crossing the middle of that famous lake in a boat with the Lord Jesus Christ. It might have been beautiful to watch from a nice hilltop there in Galilee, you know, safe and warm and, and all of that. But if you were unfortunate enough to have been out on the water in a boat and get sucked into all of that chaos with the foaming waves and the horrific wind, you know, uh, it was not very beautiful at all. It would be a terrifying ordeal for sure. A life and death situation, as the Bible lets us know, it was. Now, Jesus likes to use metaphors. Analogies are a huge tool, so effective in helping any good uh, communicator uh, get his point across or her point across. Um, Jesus is going to use this whole situation as he's already spoke about storms in a figurative way. Uh, he's already closed out a sermon saying storms of life are going to come. And he says, if you put into practice my words, it'll be like your life is built on this solid foundation of the rock and the winds are going to come 
and the waters are going to rise. But those who are doing God's will and are, have a relationship with Christ, they will stand. They will not suffer any loss. And uh, so this is really the whole design here. It's a truth that's a lot easier said than done to have peace in the midst of the storms, uh, as we'll see this morning here, as I've said in Matthew chapter 8. It's a scene acted out before us, a, a real life storm, deadly and fierce, and, and it's designed, it's designed, and it's recorded here for the very purpose to kind of impress upon the disciples the very truths that he's been teaching them, that he is authority over all adversity that could ever come your way, and that he is the Lord that even the elements of the wind and the waves uh, must submit to him. And so if Jesus is on board, there's no need for fear. And that's really the point as we pick up here where we left off at verse 23. Let's dive in. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. That's what disciples do. They follow Jesus and little did they know where Jesus was leading them. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Mark tells us that the boat was uh, being threatened to submerge or to capsize. But Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Mark adds, don't you care? Verse 26, Jesus replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? When Jesus asks a question, it's rhetorical. He's not wanting the answers there because the answers are really sad to explain why they're so freaked out. Then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He speaks to them, commands them. Mark says, he says, quiet, be still. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed, the word means to have the wind knocked out of you and ask, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, we're going to get an answer to that question, what kind of man is this this morning as we uh, dive into this beautiful, well-known and well-loved passage. And many of you might be thinking, oh, this story. I've heard it a hundred times, been there, done that, you know? Oh, really? Oh, really? How'd you do on your last storm? Huh? How'd it go? How'd it go? Did you have more faith or did you have more fear? Well, then, okay, then. I guess this is for you and maybe you missed something the first hundred times that you heard it because you still fall to pieces still. Even with the Holy Spirit, even knowing the promises of God, uh, we still give way to fear. And so we pay close attention because maybe it's this time the Holy Spirit will do something in our hearts that just once and for all settles it. That's come hell or high water. Christ is with us and it's going to be okay. And we can have peace in the midst of the storms. And so three things going on here that will always go on this pattern really and they will serve as our talking points this morning. Number one, the storm descends, as they always do. Number two, the disciples fall to pieces, as we usually do. And number three, the Lord takes charge, as he always does. Now, it's a cycle that gets repeated, as I've been saying over and over again. Sadly, even in the Christian's life, wouldn't it be nice? And really, it's the whole purpose of having this story recorded is to change the cycle so that it might read, the storm descends and Jesus' followers trust God and have peace as the Lord takes charge and works his good will while the cooperation of the disciples happens, takes place. And so while we cooperate with him, with the peace, yes, we're concerned. God doesn't want us to act happy when we should be sad or sing happy songs, when we should be grieving. 
Or to, you know, to be whistling Dixie when it seems like the boat's going down. But there's no place for dread and fear and crippling anxiety and worry that gnaws at you. Let's leave that for the atheists who don't have a God watching over them, who hasn't promised them anything. The promises are for us and so that we put fear and dread that makes life miserable, by the way, and makes your ministry ineffective and unproductive. We lay that aside because there's no need. God seems to think that no matter what situation you're in, there is no cause for panic or fear, or crippling anxiety. That's what God is thinking, and that's the whole point of this teaching miracle here. So here's the context. You're in a discipleship passage, and so part of what he's teaching the disciples is to know that when you follow Christ, and the first thing that happens after he's talking to wannabe disciples is he leads these followers into a storm, and then after the storm, when they get on the shore, there's a demonized crazy maniac who aggresses them with a legion of demons. And so the, the whole point here in the discipleship context to a guy who approached Jesus said, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And Jesus has to straighten them out and say, dude, I think you got the wrong idea. Because a lot of times we're homeless. It's tough. Are you still in? And so as soon as he gets in the boat from talking to that guy, he leads them into a life-threatening situation, two of them in a row, which teaches us following Christ. The normative thing is conflict. It happens, not all the time, but there are definitely seasons when our lives are turned upside down, which is no cause for panic, but for peace because Christ is with us in turning upside down. Now, why is it we love roller coasters so much that turn us all around? We pay for it. We pay to be tossed around and spun so that we don't know which way is up because we think, oh, well, we're buckled in. The whole point of the Bible, 66 books screaming at us. Oh, you who put your trust in God, you are buckled in. You are buckled in. Therefore, since you know that as a promise of God and as God, faithful past experience has proven to you, you are truly buckled in. Therefore, when you're upside down and inside out, you have no cause for fear. Well, that's the whole point, Jesus says. I'm, the reason I'm telling you all of this is that in this world, you're going to have storms. You're going to have troubles. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So he's going to say, it's not if the storm is going to come. It's when. There are two kinds of people. Some who are in the storm and some who are about to face a storm. That's how it goes. You haven't done something necessarily wrong. We'll be talking about all of these things. So, fear not comes 365 times in the Bible. A command, fear not. God wants us to enjoy his peace. That's kind of the, the major benefit of getting saved is that we can enjoy peace instead of being uh, uh, dominated by fear. 365 times, for one for each day of the year. But you know, there's always an Eeyore out there. <laughs> Say, you know what? Oh, no. It's sleep year. <laughs> he should have gave us 366. Now we're all going to die. <laughs> so let's dive in and with our OU of Little Faith friends and see if the Holy Spirit can get this truth down into our hearts Let's isolate those first two verses. And point number one, the storm descends. Now, quite literally here, and it might be interesting to you to know that the topography is, um, the lay of the land there is sets up the conditions for a perfect storm. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That blue mist there, the, the lake, 
most people don't realize it's 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains and hills uh, up to uh, several thousand feet in elevation. And so what happens is the cooler air from the east flows over those mountains and it uh, kind of interchanges with the hot air that's rising because cold air sinks. And so in that exchange, it gives way to sudden, violent uh, storms. So it's the perfect lay of the land for perfect storms to be coming. Now, one writer put it this way. As the lay of the land there around the lake provides all the right conditions for the per perfect physical storm, so too the lay of the land of our lives in a world cursed by sin allows for all the right conditions to exist for the perfect figurative storms of life, meaning the earth itself labors under a curse. There are sinful hearts, evil behaviors, selfish ambition, vulnerable bodies, thirst for power, deceit, greed, lust, lying, corruption, all these are the lay of the land of the Christian life too. And we should not be surprised at the uh, suddenness or frequency of our storms given these constants. And so you have it here. It's going to happen. Jesus says, it's going to happen. I'm with you. The only time it, storms go away, and thank you for that picture, uh, is when he appears. When he appears, there are no more storms, for the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so we look forward to that. But in the meantime, he says, you're in a world that is so broken, all it does is produce stormy weather. And there's all kinds of that. But he says, be of good cheer. I'm with you in it, and I will use it for your good. We're talking about these things now. And so all in a day's work that we're going to be a disciple and have to deal with a storm or a demonic attack and these kinds of things. Greg Laurie put it this way. He said, um, there are three types of storms. He says there are corrective and there are protective and perfecting. So let's talk about that. I kind of tweaked them and made them my own. Um, number one, corrective. They're the storms of life that come because of our bad behavior our disobedience. We make the bed and we have to lie in it as the thing goes. So a good example of that is Jonah. You know, God tells him to go to Nineveh uh, with the gospel, a call of repentance to evil terrorists who have inflicted uh, terrible, uh, unimaginable suffering on the people of God, whom Jonah hated. And he thought that if I go with a message of repentance, they might get saved and turn to God. And we can't have that, right? And so he, instead of going 500 miles east, he decides to get on a boat to disobey God and go 2,500 miles the other way, west, right? I have a map of that just to show you. Well, <laughs> you know, two different ways he was thinking. Well, he didn't get very far because because of, listen, because of his disobedient heart, God had to send a storm, a correcting storm to get him back into the will of God where the blessings are not only for him, but for the people of Nineveh who end up repenting and getting saved. And God relents with the disaster he was bringing. And so it's a corrective storm to bless both Jonah and uh, those in Nineveh. Thank you for that map there. And so you know the bottom of the sea, the seaweed wrapped around Jonah's head in his storm. He's in the belly of some God-provided beast. And he says this. He comes to his conclusion and he says, okay, God, you win, right? He says, and I quote, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, Jonah chapter two. And done, storm over. 
You know how quick it can be to end a storm of our own doing by just complying with the word of the Lord. And so let's not keep those storms going, but uh, do as God has asked us to do. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, I used to wander off until you disciplined me and you brought that storm, but now I closely follow your word. One writer said, oh, blessed storm that knocks some sense into us and ushers us back into the good graces of our God. Well, what did you expect when you decided, oh, we're not going to wait until we're married. We're going to do things the world's way, move in with each other. As a Christian, a so-called Christian, what did you expect? Sunshine and mild, happy weather? No, God loves you enough to say, hey, I'm going to send a little something your way. A FedEx a little package for you to open. Of course, we do these things. We expect like there's not going to be anything that happens. God says, I love you so much, and I'll discipline you with the storm. And so let's uh, give God little reason for those kinds of storms, amen, by obeying his word. The other thing, the protective purposes of a storm, here I heard a testimony this way. We think that God is uh, causing some kind of turmoil in our lives, but actually it's this loving intervention. This pastor spoke at a conference and he said, I was madly in love with this beautiful girl at seminary and we dated for a couple years and I publicly planned a party to uh, propose to her and publicly, publicly she said no. She got up and walked away and it sent him into a whirlwind, a storm of grief for a year, over a year. And he says it was a waste of time because that woman turned out to denounce the faith and live out her life hostile to the gospel and, and very bitter person. And instead he married a godly woman, a beautiful woman, and they served together in ministry for 30 plus years. He was so happy to tell the story and say that he said, I thought that a terrible storm had happened to me when it was the best thing God had ever done. He was sparing me, not causing me, um, punishment or pain of any way. These things happen. Wait till you get to heaven. All the closed doors, the frustrating twists and turns that we all think, oh, this is a terrible thing. They're the best things that have ever happened to us. That's what. And how do you think that way? You think that way because of faith. Because faith says God is good. God's got my back. He died for my sins. He's for me, not against me. He wants to prosper me, not to harm me. Therefore, since that's the truth, my emotions have to take a back seat. That's what faith does. It dislodges the lie and it embraces the truth despite how you're feeling and how it looks and how it seems. That's why he says we need faith. You know, I think of a lot of examples of the protective storms. I mean, Paul, there was a plot to murder and assassinate the apostle Paul. So because of the persecution, the storm of persecution, he got thrown in jail and they couldn't get to him because he was in protective custody. Now I'm sure Paul was thinking, hey, I'd rather be free and out of this storm. Oh, I don't know. You'd be out there, a target of easy assassination. So God locks us up sometime in a storm and we're like, what? when is the storm going to stop? As soon as it's safe, for you to come out. <laughs> it takes faith to think like that. And you know why fear is so much easier? Because it's, it's a lazy man's path. Fear is just lazy. Faith takes work. And that's why it's so hard to come by. You know, I don't know. Can I throw in another one? How about Joseph? I mean, Joseph had a storm for 22 years that lasted. That's like living in Seattle. You know, 
It's just always cloudy there, you know? Some storms are short. They're 15 minutes. You know, you're in Hawaii. You're on the beach. It's sunshine, and then boom, torrential rain for 15 minutes, and it's done. But other storms aren't quite like that. And Joseph had a long one indeed. And so, uh, yeah, at the end of his life, what happened? He said, you guys meant this for evil. This storm came. I was a victim. But God overrode your intentions to harm and used it for good, for the saving of life. Yeah. People lived because Joseph had to endure a 22-year storm. And that's how it is. Sometimes he'll bring a storm in to save somebody else. Little did you know, right? I told you about being on the chemotherapy ward 20 years ago. Next to that guy, it always moves me to talk about it because I, I kept bumping into this other patient and we always were getting our chemo on the same days and next to each other. And he was an older gentleman. I was talking to him about his soul. He said, oh, my daughter witnesses to me all the time, you know, shares the gospel with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, don't you think it's probably a good time in your life to surrender to Christ? And he said, you know what? It is. It is. And he asked for help with that. And so... I got him my Bible. I led him to the Lord. He was crying. A few times later, I saw him, and he said, I'm not doing so good. He started to have chest pains, and in front of me, they came in and took, wheeled him out, and the last thing I saw was his face saying, thank you. Thank you. And, and you know what that made? <laughs> Having cancer and chemotherapy, it just made it worth it. It just was like, oh, it, it mitigated the sting of having to go through that kind of storm with three little kids and a wife at the time and all of that. Man, you know, so God is up to something and it's not just about you in your storm. Paul the apostle said, because I'm incarcerated, All of Caesar's household has heard the gospel, and some of them have gotten saved. You see, Paul's storm wasn't just about him. He said, would you mind if I allowed a storm to put you in a place where I could reach somebody I could never get to without you having to be in your storm? But what does that take? It takes faith to stop and think, oh, maybe God has a purpose outside of my convenience and my comfort that he's doing some kind of redemptive work through my pain right now. And that's really a protective storm. Let's get to the last one, the perfecting storm. And this is, man, this is just the way God grows at Christians. Slide Romans 5. We can rejoice too, Paul says at verse 3, when we run into storms and problems and trials. For we know that they help us. The storm is helping us. It's beneficial. It's a good thing to develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. That's where you get it. You can't go out and buy it. It it comes to you through enduring through the storm. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And yeah, perfecting. The storm comes to test the, you know, the, the sturdiness of the boat to find any leaks. And every time a storm comes, you'll go, whoa, I didn't know that leak was there. Well, of course you didn't because there was no storm to test it. And so he'll turn up the heat and then suddenly you find out, oh yeah, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they went off, they're drinking and they're partying and they gave up on God. Well, what happened? Well, they went bankrupt. Oh, so the bankruptcy that turned up the heat showed exactly what was going on in the condition of their soul. That's why it's called a trial. It's called a test to show us where are the cracks, where are the, where are the flaws. Some of them can be serious and they need some attention and some work. And there's only one way to find out where they are is to turn up the heat or apply the pressure and then boom, there they are. And then you become more mature as you cooperate, not just because you go through it and live through it and hold your breath through it. No, you're saying things like, God, thank you. 
for showing me this and revealing where I need to grow. Fill me with your spirit. Polish the rough edges. Let me work with you and cooperate and rest in your care. Toughen me up. Deepen my compassion. Humble me through this. Soften my heart. Really think of a storm that hits you as a spiritual (laughs) uh, discipline, like going to the gym. That's what it is. That's how God grows us. James, it's like a conspiracy, these guys. They're all saying the same thing. James says in chapter one of his letter, he says, count it all joy at some level in your heart when you fall into various troubles, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces character and character maturity and work with God, so that you'll be complete and mature, lacking no good Christian character. That's how he grows us. He perfects us through adversity. But Jesus says, hey, I'm with you. I'm in it with you. Look to me. You've got the throne room. Come in. You have full access to God Almighty, and God will share his divine nature with you to help you get through it. And so it's a win-win situation for sure uh, as we cooperate with him. And so moving on, verse 24, the storm is a category five. In case you think it's just a little wind blowing, no. The word is an unusual word. It's where we get the word seismic. And it's only used in the Bible for earthquakes. In fact, it's used seven times to describe what's going on in the Great Tribulation. So you know that four of these guys are professional fishermen. They've been on the water all their lives, their fathers and their grandfathers. And for them to come apart like that, you know this is a seismic mega storm. And so they're upside down and uh, inside out. Mark tells us the boat's nearly swamped, meaning when the boat was in the trough, the waves were higher than the boat. You would not see the boat on land. It was being threatened to be capsized, the Bible says, uh, in Mark, and Jesus somehow is asleep. Now, this is, I love the eyewitness. He's asleep in the stern on a cushion. Wow, that's amazing. And I think they throw that in there to show that they were a little perturbed by that, a little irritated that he's in bed taking a nap while they're drowning. Or so it appears, right? And that's, by the way, is in Mark's account. Now, why was Jesus sleeping through this storm? Well, for good reason. Number one, he's tired. He's tired. He's a man. He's fully man. He's also fully God. And he's tired. He's not like the Pharisees who fake like they're working all day and then they're sleeping for three hours in the afternoon. This man works. He's working. He just came from difficult discipling. He came from uh, raising people off their deathbed. He came from dealing with demons, casting them out all day long, day after day. It said in the Bible that he was so busy they didn't have time to eat that people thought he was losing his mind because of how hard he worked. So he gets in the boat and it's rocking him like a lullaby. He's like, this seems like a good time to just have a nap. And so he kind of got settled in there and he had a nap because he trusts in his father's care. He had already told them, we're going to the other side. He didn't tell them, let's go out to the middle and drown. He didn't say that. Did he say that? What did he say? Mark tells you what he says. Let's go to the other side. When Jesus says, we, me and you, we're going over here in one piece. You're going to get there in one piece. And You know, a little faith. That's all he's asking for, a little faith. And so, yeah, so he's uh, asleep there. Now his uh, needful nap there is uh, not uh, very long because they come in and they want to talk to him. Now Jesus laid back attitude. At this time in their lives, uh, they come to the wrong conclusion. Check it out. Verse 25. 
the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. In the Greek, it's Lord, we, are, we die. Lord, we perish. We're going to drown. And as I already told you, Mark outed them for saying, don't you care? <laughs> he replied, you have about this much faith. Why are you so afraid? It's a rhetorical question. He's making a statement there. Let's talk about that. So the storm descends, and now it's time for panic to set in. Were our faith-challenged disciples, things got so bad that they decided maybe they should get Jesus involved. Sound familiar? <laughs> How long did this go on? How long did they suffer in their pride thinking we're fishermen, he's a rabbi, he's asleep, let's not bother him, we got this, we're skilled, we know this better than him? Really? Is this his third time on a boat in his life? Come on. You know, so, so they, they in their pride are there going to work it out. And so when they realize, you know what, I think we're going to die. Well, now is the time. Well, maybe we should involve Jesus. I don't know. What a good idea. I just was reading about comments like, how long did they put off the, the relief that God would bring to them simply through not asking, through waiting, and trying to work it out in their own strength and their own ingenuity? Oh, yes, indeed. We know how that goes. What if, you know, the second, yes, it came on suddenly, but what if the second they saw the dark cloud, they dogpiled on Jesus? <laughs> There'd be no story here. It would be like, oh, there's dark clouds, Jesus, you know, and boom. <laughs> You know, there'd be no storm. There'd be no spitting out the water. There'd be no, no, well, we're all gonna die. You know, planning their funerals and <laughs> crying about their wives who are gonna be widows and all of that. No nonsense, you know. So the sooner we turn to Christ, the sooner he lessens the chaos. Oh my word, he would have let it go on for a lot. Uh, how long do you want this to go on? Oh, he says that to us all the time. How's this working for you? Keep ignoring me. Keep pretending like I'm nowhere around. Keep trying to work it out. Oh, it'll get better. You're just more something, right? No, I suggest you just get him involved. So whose idea was it to go wake him up? You know, they're like, where's the Lord? You know, the wind's blowing. You know, oh, he's resting. It's like, where is he now? We need him right now. You know, I know, right. And okay, let's go get him because we're going to die anyway. So uh, instead of going to him with a humble attitude, like, hey, we tried to work this out. It's not working. God help us. They go with biting sarcasm. And that's how it is. When we're fearful or hurting or think God's let us down and how could you lead us into this? Didn't you see this coming? You put us in a boat and a collision course with a storm. So they say things like, don't you care? I guess God doesn't care about me. He doesn't love us. And you know the devil's prompts, you know? This is how he rewards you for giving up everything. You know he talks like that all the time. And so they have to deal with that and they go to him and they let their attitude uh, be known. Don't you care that we're drowning and all of that? Well, it's a common mistake in our great fear and our little faith to think that God has abandoned us and doesn't care about us. Uh, and we do that all the time. And God always has to remind us from the Old Testament to the New. Let me show you Isaiah when he talks to his people in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 40, he says, lift your eyes up. And think about me. I'm the one who made all the stars in the heaven. That's me. Why do you complain and say, a God like that, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Really? Seriously? This is what he's saying to his people. Do you, know, do you not know? Haven't you heard? The Lord, me. I, I'm the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I don't grow tired. I don't take naps. I'm not weary. And in my understanding, no one can fathom my understanding. I give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in me, the Lord, 
I will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Come on. If God knows what's up with the sparrows in this neighborhood right now, he knows where every sparrow is. And he says, not one sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing about it. How much more is he zoned in on you for whom he shed his blood? He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're carrying. Your cause is not disregarded by your God. Your way is not hidden from him. The whole point is he loves you so much, he laid down his life for you. Come on, we need to remember that, but that takes a little bit of faith doesn't it? So the exchange of words that happened here on the text had to be yelled. So I like to picture that because he hasn't calmed the storm yet. So Jesus and them are talking. We're all going to die. You know, and Jesus says, why, why are you so afraid? You know, and it's a rhetorical question. Like I said, it's like a statement. It's like the CHP pulling you over. They'd say, what were you thinking when you rolled through that stop sign? They don't really want an answer. (laughs) They're making a statement. You bozo, you think you're above the law. Oh, I don't feel like obeying the law. I'm more important. I just roll through signs. Who cares if I cause a collision and kill somebody? Because it's all about me. Well, that's the answer. (laughs) So Jesus doesn't want the answer so much as to make the statement, if God is on the boat, and you see me raise the dead, and you know that I'm the Lord, and I'm right here with you, should you really be falling to pieces? Do you really think I can't handle this? That's what he's saying there. Now, the disciples, when they hear him say, why are you so afraid? They think it's the dumbest question Jesus has ever asked him. Isn't it obvious? Why are we so afraid? Because we're gonna die, Jesus. (laughs) That's why none of us wanted to die by drowning, all right? And so this is what they're thinking there. That's why they think they're afraid. But Jesus' question is really no cause for panic when God is there. And he's the one who said, we're going to the other side. And so, you know, one writer said, didn't he promise every Christian to take us to the other side? You're going to heaven. You put your faith and trust in him. There's nothing that can separate you from his love and nothing can get in the way of your destiny. In fact, Paul says he's raised us to new life and seated us in heavenly places that we're already there. In God's economy, the way God thinks, it's already a done deal. There's nothing to worry about if you've already been seen in heaven. It's just walking that out now. But what... To enjoy that truth, what would you have to have? Faith. You'd have to have more faith. You'd have to stop and think about that. So I started to think, what are some practical ways that in the next storm that we could have more faith and less fear? I came up with six quick things. Number one, draw near fast in prayer. Don't wait till the last second. Involve God from the beginning. Uh, the, The... The fervent prayer of those set right with God is powerful and effective. Number two, remind yourself of God's word and the promises. The truth of God's word is called a helmet to protect our minds. And so we remind ourselves of the truth. So instead of wringing your hands and doing all the what ifs up there, how about quoting some scriptures? Because scripture has a way of causing our emotions and our feelings to come under and to obey as faith leads the way. Number three, watch your focus. If you're watching the problem and the storm and you're all focused on what she said or what he did or what if this happens, uh, you're not going to have any peace at all. Peter was going to be on the water with the Lord. He's going to be walking on on the water fine, miraculously, but when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, puts him on the storm, He starts to sink, and that's the way it'll be. Number four, congregate during the storm. Don't isolate. And that's what human 
inclination is. When you start to be uh, suffering, you want to take a break, stop reading the Bible, stop uh, coming to church and all of that. And that does not increase your faith. There's not enough faith there, and then the fear dominates you. And so it's always a bad idea to isolate. Uh, Number five, take charge. Be the adult inside with that dialogue. Whatever things are true and right and noble, think on those things, he says. And so John 14, 1 says, do not let your heart be troubled. You do not let it be troubled. You have a say. Take charge. And finally, rehearse your former deliverances. Oh, my word. Has God ever sprung you out of some financial difficulty? Of course he has. So in the next one, why can't you go back to the uh, former miracle of deliverance? And remember, God has them. The cool thing about getting old, there's like two of them. And, and one, one of them is that you build up more and more testimonies of God's faithfulness. And so the older you get in the Lord, the less cause you have for fear and panic because God's past faithfulness is his promise for future deliverances. Amen. Amen. And so moving on, we'll just wrap up with that last thought here that Jesus takes charge he, gets in the, he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it's completely calm. Love to see the look on their face when it goes from 75 mile per hour winds or more to complete calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so... Uh, highly unusual way to talk about the storm in rebuking. And so he personally spoke as he did to demons in the same way. And so he, to rebuke the wind and the waves really links it to some kind of demonic cause of the storm. So scholars say because Jesus was headed to a place the shore where that demonized man is. He has a legion of demons and he's suffering terribly. And scholars believe that in his heart, he cried out that he might have heard about Jesus. And he's crying out in his mind. And Jesus is coming to the other side to deliver him, which he will do. And Satan knows they're coming. And so Satan wants to hinder and would rather see them all drown in the lake. And so really the language here is saying that Jesus has authority not only over the natural elements, but the supernatural powers behind the natural elements that would use the natural elements uh, for, uh, to hinder the work of the gospel and to hurt Christian ministry and Christian lives. And so Jesus flexes his muscles here a little bit. It's kind of nice to know that, you know, it's comforting to know that someone on your team is unstoppable and undefeatable, especially in a jam. Jesus wants us to know his power. He wants us to be impressed. He wants you to say, he wants to say to you, look what I can do. Can you imagine what I could do if I was in your heart and you were in some storm? Look what I can do. Put your trust in me. And he says, quiet, be still. And it's the word, as I said before, to be muzzled. He speaks to the wind and he says, be muzzled. muzzled." And there's a ruder way of saying what he's saying. He's saying, shut up. (laughs) He's saying, shut up. Wow. To be able to look at a storm and say, just shut up. And the whole thing goes, you know, that's pretty amazing. And, And you would think, and the point of it is in the next storm of adversity, that they could just remember back to that moment where Jesus brought the calm. He'll always bring the calm every single time. We just need to have faith, he says. And so um, uh, I like 
One writer pointed out the other scripture here that says, you belong to God, little children. You have overcome all evil because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And not even the devil can stop what Jesus has got prepared for us and how he's working in our hearts and lives. So, uh, yes, and so in spite of their fickle faith and their doubting hearts, he comes through and he rescues them. So there's always first a lesson Right, And then he rescues, and he's always good at that. And uh, the disciples are connecting the dots, and they're thinking he, he touches lepers, and he cleanses them. He says a word, and the guy rises from his deathbed. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, demons are shrieking and fleeing, and now even the wind and the waves obey. So they ask the question that everybody has to ask and answer in this life. What kind of man is this? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a role model? Do just good teachers who are just human beings, can they look at the storm and say, hey, stop, and have the wind and the waves obey? This is none other than the only one who creates God in human form, the exact representation of God's being. The Bible says the radiance of God's glory, God poured into human form. This is who is on board in your heart, in your life. This is the God to whom you've been joined by the Spirit. And in your boat and in your storm, God has said, we're going to the other side. And know this, that he is not going to be uh, destroyed. You are not going down with the boat. You will reach your appointed destiny because it's God who's working within you to do all of these things just as he's promised. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your promises. And yes, God, we confess that we give way to fear way too much. We lose sight of you, we think you're asleep, but we think you're not available. God, correct us, help us to do the things that build up faith, that increase our faith and diminish our fears. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 